Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Riverwood Church. My name is Aaron, and today we get to kick off our Advent series. We're doing a series called Do Christmas Different. And so right now, to help you begin to do Christmas different, the usher is going to hand out what we're calling a family guide. But you don't have to have a family to enjoy or get some use out of this. Uh, we're going to pass one of these out to each family unit. If you've got kids, I encourage you, look through it. Get some ideas of some things that you can do with your children this Christmas season to help them not get caught up in just the cultural trappings of what we know as Christmas, but to kind of restore some sanity back to the season, to, to give them a chance to do these four tenets of what is known as Advent conspiracy, to worship fully, to to spend less, but to give more, and then to love all. And we're going to be doing that over these four weeks. And so, uh, I know you're, you're curious, you're wanting to look through that. Uh, go ahead and set it aside, but I want you to have that in hand, uh, because that's going to give us uh, a guide for these next few, uh, few weeks. So, hey, by the way, if you don't have kids, or uh, you know, you're not even married yet, Grab a friend, do it with your spouse, you know, just look through it. You don't have to do everything. There's way too much in there for you to possibly do over the next four weeks. But it might give you some ideas, some things that you can do to help you begin to do some of these ideas that, that maybe this year we're going to actually just worship Jesus. And maybe this year we'll spend just a little bit less to, so that we can give a little bit more. And by doing so, maybe, just maybe, we'll become a little bit more like Jesus and we'll love like Jesus loved and we will go and love all. And by loving them, we actually might help them have their best Christmas ever, which in turn helps us to have our best Christmas ever. In that video, you saw the little girl. I, I loved her bright eyes and that smile when she's running down the aisle. And I could just almost hear her saying, Daddy, Daddy, come look at this. Parents, how many of you have had your kids say, Mommy, Daddy, look at me. Look at this. Come here. Come here. Okay. Yeah, I see a lot of head nods, hands raised. I mean, just this week I had it happen. Uh, my my 13-year-old, he, uh, he turned 13 last Sunday, and a couple of months ago, he found my old Rubik's Cube from like the 80s. And that thing is stiff and tight, but he studied YouTube videos and figured out how to solve a Rubik's Cube, and he can do it in about two, three minutes. Well, he'd been asking for his birthday for a new Rubik's Cube, one that would actually move. Uh, and he's now gotten his time under two minutes. Uh, so he, uh, one of his siblings got him a Rubik's Cube. And it was so cute. On our trip for Thanksgiving to Nebraska, my two boys, my 13-year-old and my 10-year-old, are sitting in the front seat, uh, the seat right in front of me. I'm in the far back. I got relegated to the back end. Uh, and they're sitting right in front of me. And the, the 13-year-old is showing the 10-year-old how to solve it. He's saying, okay, now turn this one this way. Now do this or that. And all of a sudden, my 10-year-old turns around and shoves this Rubik's Cube in my face. Daddy, look! Look what I did! I solved the side! Look, look! There's something in humans that says, look at me, notice me. I, I don't think it's just this childlike desire. I think that even in the shyest of adults, there is this desire to be seen because to be seen means you matter and to be seen means you're loved. That is why there are so many selfies on Instagram. People wanting to be seen, to be told, you matter, you're loved. That, that's why on their wedding day, the bride and the groom have such gigantic smiles because they're standing on a stage exchanging vows. And as they do so, basically the other person is saying, I see you, you matter to me, I love you, and I will continue to see you now for the rest of our lives. 
and therefore the smiles. Now, as I'm talking, you're used to me kind of setting the stage like this and then saying, but. And so you're probably thinking, okay, Aaron, you're going to say, all right. So we have this desire to be seen, but what we need to do is to actually go and exert our energy to see others. Well, you're wrong. Today, I'm actually going to affirm your desire to be noticed. The thing is, I'm not going to tell you to go and ask for really extravagant gifts and therefore make you feel loved and say that you matter. And I'm going to plead with you not to try and be the star at your Christmas karaoke concert at your work party is going to be putting on this Christmas season. Please don't embarrass yourself. That's not the type of attention that you need. Because my point today is that you're already seen. You're already seen by your father because you matter to him and you are deeply loved. And what I hope you see that Christmas means you are seen. And as we then see Christmas and we realize that God sees us, it will lead us to worship fully. So Father, I pray that you would uh, take my words and do something supernatural with them. That this would not just be the uh, ramblings of one solo guy, but that we would get into the scriptures. We would see what you have put in there for generation after generation after generation to see and to learn. And that is that you see us because you created humans. You know us. You love us. We matter deeply to us. And that should change how we approach Christmas. And so, Father, I pray you'd open our eyes, open our ears to what you want to say to us this morning. We ask for this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Today, as we get into this whole idea of uh, worship fully and beginning this Advent conspiracy series, we're going to look today at the story of Mary. So if you brought a Bible today, go ahead and open it up to Luke chapter 1. As you're opening to, to Luke 1, uh, again, we're doing this Advent conspiracy. We're putting our own spin on it uh, called Do Christmas Different. But if you want to, go ahead and go to adventconspiracy.org. You can look at some of the resources there. Some of it, this, like this uh, family uh, pack that we just handed out, that came from them. We went through and edited it fairly heavily, uh, to give it a Riverwood spin. But some of the stuff's coming from them. The kids right now are doing the exact same stuff as us. Today, they're talking about worship fullest. So, so parents, you can get in the car with your kids and say, what'd you talk about today? And you already know, all right? And you guys could possibly have great discussions this Christmas season as we all kind of do the same thing, them just doing it in a more kid-friendly approach, all right? So we're going to look at Mary, though, today, because what we see at Christmas is we see Mary worship fully. We've already heard the passage from uh, Luke 1, 28 through 36 that Linnell read in the uh, start of our service. It was the coming of Gabriel to Mary. Ma- Mary was this teenage girl. She's engaged to, to Joseph. Back then, their engagement was a little different than how it's done in our day and age. They were already considered married. However, after you get, you know, engaged, married, there had to be this like nine-month, 12-month waiting period to make sure that she wasn't pregnant, to make sure that they weren't getting married to try and cover something up. Plus, that gave time for the groom to kind of get his house ready, to get things all ready. And then one time he would come, he'd get his bride and bring her home, and then they would consummate the marriage. Well, when Gabriel shows up, she's in this engagement period, and she's told, you're going to get pregnant. Now, Mary may be a 14-year-old, 15-year-old girl living back in, you know, first century, but she does understand biology. And she knows enough to realize that usually it takes a man and a woman to create a child, 
and she's never been with a man. How is this going to happen? And Gabriel explains, ah, God, God will take care of it. And did you notice her words? She says, may it be as you have said. She, she humbly surrenders herself to it. But then if you keep reading, you would notice that she takes off. You see, Gabriel told her that her cousin, Elizabeth, who was much older than Mary, had never been able to have kids. And suddenly, almost in an Abraham and Sarah type of moment, she's now pregnant. And so Mary is taking off to go see Elizabeth. Maybe it's to go celebrate this pregnancy. I suspect it's to go and see, is it really true? Because did she really get visited by an angel or did she just see something really, really strange the night before? So she's got to know, did this happen? But it's also possible that Mary takes off to Judea to leave her little town of Nazareth in Galilee, head off to this other country by herself because she's running. Because if this really happens the way Gabriel said it was, she's going to be an unwed teenage mother. And in Jewish society in that day and age, that could get you ostracized. It could get you expelled out of the community. Joseph could even bring charges against her and she could be stoned or even killed. So maybe Mary's running. Mary gets to Judea. She approaches Elizabeth and Zechariah's house and she calls out, Elizabeth, Elizabeth. And all of a sudden, the baby inside Elizabeth's womb, who we know grows up to be John the Baptist, leaps within her. And it's like the Holy Spirit floods Elizabeth. And Elizabeth begins to say things to Mary that no one should be able to know. Mary hasn't told a soul. And yet, suddenly, Elizabeth says, Who am I that the mother of my Messiah would come and visit me? Suddenly, if Mary's running, if she's trying to hide, she's suddenly exposed. So I want to look at her response to the words of Mary. It's there in Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 46. Immediately after Elizabeth has said these words, here's how Mary responds. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her, with Elizabeth, about three months and returned to her home. So, if Mary is trying to run, she's suddenly exposed, you wouldn't expect her to burst into song. You see, if you've done something wrong, and it gets seen, you get caught, you feel some shame. You want to hide. But Mary's not trying to hide because she hasn't done anything wrong. Instead, she realizes that the words of Gabriel have been made seen to be true. Because here's Elizabeth, who couldn't have any kids, suddenly pregnant in her sixth month. 
And now Elizabeth has told Mary without Mary even saying a word. You're pregnant with the Messiah. And it's in that moment that Mary realizes God is in control. And what we see, the key to her worship, we see is right there in verse 48. Let me start in verse 46. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Why? For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. She realizes she's seen. She is seen by God. And what's amazing, she says she's seen even in her humble estate. You got to realize, this is just a teenage girl from an unknown community, Nazareth, kind of had a bad reputation. It's in Galilee, which is north of the, the central part of Israel. So Jerusalem's down here. Jerusalem's the hubbub. This is where the powerful are. This is where the, the real work gets done. Galilee, Nazareth, I mean, it's just out there. Now, I mean, does anything good come from Nazareth? Some of the disciples said. And yet, here's Mary realizing, as anonymous as my life is, in Nazareth, in Galilee, away from Jerusalem, even in Israel. Keep in mind, Israel is underneath the rule of Rome at this time. And here's this anonymous girl realizing, I'm seen. And because she realizes that she's seen by her God, she knows that she matters and she's loved. And when that thought hits her, she bursts into song. She can't help but to worship fully. Now, maybe you're sitting here arguing with me in your head. You say, yeah, yeah, Aaron. If I were in Mary's sh- well, not shoes, sandals. She would have worn sandals. If I were in Mary's sandals, I probably would have burst forth into song too. But I've never been visited by an angel who says that God's going to do all these great things for me. All right, I'll concede you that. But I'm not too worried about that because you have something even better than an angel visit. You have Christmas. You see, Christmas is about the incarnation, the the coming of God taking on human flesh, Jesus coming down to us. And, And why did Jesus come? Well, Jesus himself told us. He told us in Mark chapter 10, verse 45. He said that the Son of Man, a title that he used to use for himself, that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The the word ransom in the Greek was a word used for the price paid to a slave, uh, to buy a slave. And you realize when Jesus says this, the slave is you. The slave is me. Because if you go back into Genesis and you see Adam and Eve, and, and when they eat of that forbidden fruit, we learn that sin comes in and infects everything, even creation itself. And the image of God within mankind gets distorted and marred and destroyed by sin, but it's not removed. And sin suddenly becomes the authority. And it, the relationship between man and God was broken. But God is still ultimately in control. And that is why Jesus came. He descended from heaven, took on human flesh to live a sinless life, but to go and die a sinner's death because the ransom, the payment for sin was death. The problem was that if you and I paid our own ransom, we're separated from God for eternity. And yet Jesus comes and pays that for us. He pays the ransom. He pays the price to free us from enslavement to sin so that we could be reconnected with our creator. 
Many of you know that my wife and I have four kids. Uh, our oldest is getting married in three weeks. I'm not quite ready for that. I don't feel old enough to have a, a daughter getting married and take on a son-in-law, and yet we're really excited. She's found a phenomenal guy. He's going to fit so great with our family, mostly because he's a goofball. Uh, so it, it, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be a great party. You're all invited, by the way. Uh, December 17th, 1 o'clock, out at Open Bible. Come, and the, rece- the reception is cookies. So, I mean, even if you don't like weddings, come for the cookies. All right, it's, it's great. Um, but I, I just marvel at God that we have four biological children and all four are so vastly different than each other in, in their interests, in, in their quirks, in their personalities. And it, most of you would fully agree, if you know our kids, that our daughter Megan, our 16-year-old, is by far our quietest and shyest uh, of, of the four. Right? The others are kind of like me. They're loud. Megan, though, she's sweet, she's awesome, she's sensitive, she's an artist. I mean, God just did an, an amazing job when he made Megan. I'm so glad that she's, she's our kid. Megan's happy place is her room. When she comes home from school, she might get something to eat, and then she's right down because she has spent her whole day surrounded by people, and she just needs to get away, get alone, be like no one talk to her, let her just do her homework, let her do some art, let her watch Studio C on YouTube, you know, just let me have some time by myself to recharge and regroup so I can like make it through the rest of this day. But every night, either my wife or myself, I'll be honest, usually my wife, but occasionally me, will descend down the stairs, go back to her bedroom, and connect with her. And now, here's our introverted daughter. Why would we interrupt her happy place, her world, and bring another person into the room? Well, shouldn't we just leave her alone? No. We go down every night to connect with her to basically say, we see you. You matter. We love you. Because as we're getting our boys and all the chaos and that going on upstairs, we're reading books and doing snack and making lunches for the next day and getting them into the shower and into bed. And she's just down there by herself, quiet. We leave all that and go down to her to say, we love you. You matter. And that's the Christmas story. It is Jesus leaving his throne to come down to us to say, you matter. I love you because we were separated from our God, from our Father in heaven, by our sin. And Jesus came to pay that ransom so that we could be reconnected with our God, our creator, and have a relationship with him. And when you begin to realize that, it leads you to worship. This is why you do not have to go to work to try and impress people to get attention. This is why you don't have to try and get attention through the size of house you you purchase or the type of car you drive or what kind of threads you wear because God sees you. You you don't have to jump into a bad relationship. You don't have to become whiny in your marriage trying to get attention. You don't have to get mad at your kids when they don't behave a certain way because they're making you look bad because God sees you and you matter to him. It's why you don't have to go and medicate yourself with alcohol or with TV or or with pornography or or with, you know, romance novels or or with shopping. You don't have to do that because God sees you and he loves you. And when you realize this Christmas story and you realize that it means that God sees you, 
You don't have to engage in these other things. And it actually begins to turn Christmas around. And it doesn't become about shopping. And it doesn't become about parties. And it doesn't become about the food. And it doesn't become about all these other things, many of which are really good. But when they become the ultimate thing, we've missed it. But when we see Jesus and realize that Jesus sees us, it means we matter, we're loved, and that will lead us to worship. And so before we even get to any of the other tenets of this Advent conspiracy, before we even look at this idea of spending less so we can give more, before we even talk about going and being a blessing by loving all, we've got to realize that Christmas is about Jesus. It's about his coming. And when we realize that it means that we matter, it changes everything. And as it changes Christmas for us, it even begins to change our world. And then through us, it just might begin to change how other people do Christmas and begin to change their world too. So that's why this year, this first Sunday of Advent, we got to first look at Christ and realize that for us to have the best Christmas ever, to do Christmas different, we need to worship fully. And when you realize just how much God loves you, it will lead you to worship like never before. So Father, I pray that you would open our eyes to see Jesus. And as we look at his incarnation, as we look at the sacrifice he made to leave heaven, to come to earth, and not just to come to earth to tell us about you, but to even go and die our death, it shows us just how much we mattered to you. Your scriptures tell us that that you love the world so much that you sent your son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish and have eternal life. So Father, I just pray right now for anyone in this room that does not know you, Christmas for them is, is about gifts. It, it is about the parties. It's, it's about the decorations. And they've been missing it this whole time. And right now, you're wanting to correct their eyesight. You're wanting to give them, in a sense, an angelic visit. You want to whisper to them, I've got something better. I've got something different. So God, I ask that you'd open our eyes. You, we would see that we matter so much to you. That your image was upon us. It, 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 was, it may have been distorted and marred and blurred by sin. But you were so passionate for us. So in love with your creation. You came, Jesus, to die our death on that cross. To rise again from the dead. To, throw you, to show you have authority over death itself. And it shows us that you see us. So God, I pray that we would be like Mary. That we would explode into worship. We would burst forth into song. But we would just utter our thanksgiving to you because you are a great God who has done an amazing thing for us. And so God, I pray that today and through this entire Christmas season, you would just launch our hearts and minds into a, just a different realm that we wouldn't get caught up in the cultural trappings, but that we would begin to see Christmas for what you intended it to be, a celebration of the coming of Jesus. And as we celebrate that, may you help us to worship fully. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.